Hello, you're tuning in to the Switch Beats Podcast. Demo here once again with my man Lewis Geist. Say what's up to the folks, Lou. What's up, folks? We got a lot of Bay Area basketball programs performing impeccably right now. Specifically, the West Coast Conference. Lewis, you and I, we both have been covering the University of San Francisco. And uh, I think some of the other Bay Area teams deserve some of their shine on the Swish Beats Media Network also. Absolutely. And the way they're all playing at home, I mean, they're putting on good shows. Today, we're going to give you a breakdown of the West Coast Conference. They have four, three to four Bay Area teams, depending on how you like to see it. Uh, We're going to go ahead and start off with Santa Clara and then Asterisk, University of Pacific. They are located in Stockton. That's why I said three to four (laughs) Bay Area teams. We got love for Stockton. Yeah, yeah. They're they're doing really well also. Oh, okay, yeah. I was just talking about the city. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My uncle lives there. All right. Yeah, so uh, University of Pacific, they're having quite the season also for their basketball program. And we're going to go to the St. Mary's Gales out in Moraga, USF, of course. So let's go ahead and get this started. First off, we got Santa Clara. They're currently 9-2. and two. They won their last game versus Cal, 71-52. Their second win this year over a Pac-12 opponent. Now, Lewis, what was it you were saying about they also have a win over Washington State, another Pac-12 team? How vital is it to their season to have these type of wins versus Power 5 conference schools? It's really cool. It's certainly morale boosting, as last year were nowhere near as good a start as they are right now. Last year, they did pick up a couple wins against Pac-12 schools, and this is the first time in the entire history of Santa Clara Broncos basketball that they have two wins against one conference that excluding the one they play in in back-to-back years so I I think they're showing great progression because the Broncos have been kind of near the bottom of the West Coast Conference for the past handful of seasons we'll say so this is a team on the rise and I'm gonna say early on right now probably the most interesting about them is they don't have a senior on the squad there's a lot of young kids and they're starting to make their mark this season They're led the way by Willie Caruso from Italia, from Naples. Oh, damn. That's what's up. He did. He played in the under 18 European championships in Bratislava, Slovakia, averaging 11 points, five boards this year for Santa Clara. He's averaging 11 points, five boards and shooting a ridiculous 70% from the field in 20 minutes of play in these 11 games so far. Uh, What can you make out of Santa Clara's ability to find this gem of a player for them? I think it's fantastic. You need a player like him who can shoot it from deep, but also is able to distribute the ball pretty well. And here's the kicker. He's averaging a block a game inside of his collegiate career. Last year, he basically averaged a block a game. Now he's averaging 1.2 blocks per game. He can move the ball around. Obviously, having those numbers shows that he's excellent defensively, and he's part of the bedrock that's helped lifting the Broncos up. And again, to reiterate the youth that's on this team, he's only a sophomore. You said he was a great shooter. Granted that he is, he's only attempted 10 threes He's total this he's year. making like half a three a game. Ha- so, <laughs> so there's the threat of him being out there. He's shooting 50%. Yeah. And I feel like that's validated with 
his percentages at the free throw line, shooting 84% from the charity stripe. And we've talked about the international game. He comes from a international basketball playing background where, you know, you feel like players coming from overseas, they tend to have a better feel for the game. Do you agree? Yeah, you can say that they're tested in a way early on that most American counterparts don't have because they're playing on the national teams of their respective countries. And and he's not the only player. There's a couple of cats who were playing for the U19 Canadian team on this roster as well. One of them an American born, but we'll we'll get into that later. The the point is is that Santa Clara right now is doing a fantastic job of finding players who want to come to Santa Clara. That's very key and then performing well on top of that. So the experience that they have had in their home countries is competitive. It's high stakes. You know, if you make a mistake, it's not like you can go back to the bench and and start your classes in high school again. Like The whole country could be talking about it. So that, that forces you to improve your own game because there's so many eyes that could be on you. The Broncos currently have three players averaging in double figures this season to go along with Willie Caruso. They got Trey Wirtz and DJ Mitchell, both of whom are shooting 45 and 55% from the field respectively. And did we mention what Caruso's shooting from the field? Because, 70%. Yeah. Yeah. 70% from the field. It's ridiculous. Who are we starting with? Trey? You know why they call him Trey? Because he gets trays. His name is Langston. And he's the third. Langston Wirtz the third. Oh. So they just call him Trey. Yeah. I just learned. And let me tell you, it's it's pretty cool. But old boy's making 41% of his threes. 41%? And that's that's exactly why I thought they call him Trey. <laughs> I mean, he's earned the name. He's earned it with the way he's, you know, making 1.5 a game. So he also has one of the game highs this year, if we look at it. He has had a game high of 14 versus Notre Dame Dana Muir, which they won handedly, 101-54. But he also scored 24 this game in the Cable Car Classic versus Southeast Missouri State, which they won 87-75. to So he has big game ability to perform at a high level. Not to mention he's also averaging 3.7 assists a game. He put together a terrific campaign last season as a freshman, earning all w, er, earning WCC All-Freshman honors. And not only that, he has set the uh, school's assist record for a freshman at 145. So he came in to a team as a freshman and was handling the rock from the get-go. He was able to contribute not only on the scoreboard with points, but with dishing the ball out as well. And he's c- still continuing to do that this year. Assists down a bit to 3.7 a game as opposed to what he was racking up last year but still fantastic to have that experience the previous year and come back next year and and put up just as good numbers if not better yeah I mean lower numbers but his total average for his time at Santa Clara still comes out to four and a half assists per game which is still very solid but uh nonetheless solid season so far for Trigger Trey is it too is it too early to try to start giving him names uh, he might just have Trey already locked yeah. up. <laughs> oh, yeah, he his name's Langston. More. Yeah. And last but not least, we got their third uh, double average scorer, DJ Mitchell. Yeah, transfer from Wake Forest, but from the area, 
generally speaking. He's from Fresno, California. I mean, that's the kind of transfer you want to have on your program. Someone who went to a, a big school known for basketball out there in North Carolina. An ACC school. Yeah, exactly. And he's coming back and putting up buckets for you here in the uh, West Coast. I'm sure he's enjoying his time back closer to his family as well. Averaging 10 points a game. Again, shooting 55% from the field. 50% from three, About, 13 of 26. He's, he's shot a good amount so far in the 11 games that he's played. So He's knocking down one a game. He's contributing from all levels, really, and getting to the line, shooting 71%. He's, he's averaging what we call a, a combined one block steal per game. Some people lump blocks and steals together, and so he's averaging one of either of those a game, which means he's also contributing on the defensive end as well. We haven't even got into his rebounding numbers, where he's pulling down five boards a game. Forward position, too. Right now, with who you've seen Santa Clara play this year, how do you expect them to finish once WCC play commences? Well, the interesting thing about the Broncos this year so far is uh, you can look at their schedule. They're 9-2, and two, as you'll notice. Where have they got all those nine wins, and where have those two losses come? All wins at home. All losses on the road. And, and they're going to continue to play at home pretty much up until conference play begins. I think they only have one true road game, or are they all at home? No, up until conference play begins, they're all the rest are okay, home. They got take it back. Sacramento State, San Jose State, Mississippi Valley, and Alcorn State. Right, so a bunch of games at home, and that's what you want to give a young team. There's no reason to go out there and get beat up upon by a big school that maybe you're, you're just not ready yet. You can focus on yourselves. You can stay near to campus for practice purposes. There's just a lot to be gained by the way the school has set up the schedule this year, and kudos to them for doing that because it's allowing them to all blossom and pick up these wins. So how they'll do in conference play? Well, the level of intensity will be a bit higher. You'll note their two losses on the season. Uh, one is to Stanford, who's putting together a, a pretty good season. They're so, second in the Pac-10 right now. Yeah, so shout out to Stanford for doing that. And the other team is they, they took a trip up to Nevada early here in December. And Nevada was a really good team the past couple of seasons. And, and so that didn't turn out so well for them. But learning experience, didn't travel too far. And that allows you to get back home, work on whatever you need to work on, and play better. So they finished 8-8, eight and eight, which is just probably as fantastic sixth. a season. Yes. Sixth. Okay, so they tied for sixth. Pardon me. To I, Loyola I Marymount. Yeah. And they had a chance, you know, to beat Loyola Marymount at the end of the year, lost by two. So just a learning experience from them last year, continuing into this year. And maybe the conference schedule will be a little more difficult for them to navigate, but that's all part of the learning process. And they may be, uh, quote-unquote, ahead of schedule this season, but I would expect the 2020-2021 season to be a lot better for them. So they're playing exciting basketball right now, and that's all you can really ask for. And I, I don't know, I got a couple other kids we can shout out to. They're mining Canada. They're mining Canada. They have Jaden Badaiko. He's a, he's a freshman. He's played in all 10 games this season. He's averaging 60.5% shooting from the field, which is just kind of ridiculous. And he's pulling down 4.3 rebounds a game. He's born in Illinois, but moved up to Canada, and he's been playing on the U19 team before accepting the scholarship, of course, to come out to, to Santa Clara. And there's one other gentleman 
who's nailing it from three right now. Joseph Vrankage. That's who you're talking about. No, I am talking about Joseph Vrankage. Can't believe I haven't brought him up yet. Boy, he is putting together a really fine season for the Broncos. Shooting 41% from the field, not so great, but shooting 40% from three is really good. Averaging 8.6 points a game, just a shade under five rebounds a game. So his parents were from Croatia, and uh, he's got dual citizenship in Canada and Croatia. And he enjoyed his visit down to um, Santa Clara University, and he's down there putting up a show. Speaking of deep, this is a very deep roster for Santa Clara. They have nine players that have played 11 games, 10 to 11 games. The amount of bodies that they have, the amount of depth that they're able to throw at teams night in, night out is very helpful. As we look at some of their team stats right now, they're scoring 78 points per game holding their opponents to 65 for a plus 12 margin, shooting 47% from the field, holding their opponents to 39%. I think they absolutely have to hold their own defensively, uh, being such a young team, and they're not exactly known for for size, uh, generally speaking. So they have to come up with other creative ways to be impactful on the defensive end. Some of that does come in the form of fouling, but they only make one less foul shot per game than their opponents, give or take. So even though they are fouling a little bit more than their opponents are fouling them, they're making their shots. And so that's how they can overcome some of this turnover trouble that they have handling the Rock, as well as playing good defense means the other team's got to hit free throws. And if they can't do that, you've played good defense. It's a minor, minor. It's a subtle, subtle look. Extremely subtle. Right now they are... 9-2, Nine and two, tied for second in the West Coast Conference to St. Mary's, who we'll get to later in the episode. It's going to be a, it's just overall exciting basketball right now in the Bay Area as we move northeast to the University of Pacific. They are nine and three. Head coach Damon Stoudemire's third season as Pacific men's basketball coach. For all you hoop fans, you already know Damon Stoudemire. Point guard for, played for the Blazers, he played for the Grizzlies, he played for the Raptors. Raptors. He was the rookie of the year with the Raptors. Yep. Yep. I think he also won the uh, MVP of the rookie all-star competition that year too. The rookie challenge. Yeah. I don't know if they did rookie challenges back in the early 90s. No. (laughs) That's, That's a little before my time. Before the University of Pacific gets into conference play, they got games versus CSU Northridge, UNLV, Idaho State, and UC Irvine. How much of the continuity from Damon Stoudemire in his third season for this program mean for a lot of the players right now? Well, he's got an interesting group of guys, um, plenty of transfers. They've got a grad transfer from VMI, Virginia Military Institute, for those of you who didn't know. You remember who went to the Virginia Military Institute? Or wait, was it? Yeah, Virginia Military Institute. I'm fairly sure he went there. You might as well tell me who went there. Reggie Williams? Oh, yeah. Yo, I, I need this part deleted, but we used to call him Mr. Potato Head. I'm not deleting oh, it. Oh, oh. <laughs> All right, Reggie. I mean, I loved Reggie Williams' game. He was one of my favorites on those Warriors, lean Warriors years. Him, Anthony Tolliver, I could go on and on, but I'd much rather not. 
and still focus on our Tigers of UOP. But yep. Yeah, yeah. Great answer. I should have known that. Williams attended Virginia Military Institute where he led the NCAA in s- scoring two straight seasons. He was killing it. Fun fact for y'all real quick. But, uh, yeah, more about other players. Right. So they've got another grad transfer from Idaho State, Gary Chichvichian. But also Justin Moore, who's a junior, came over from Georgia Tech. Shaquilio Fritz from Arkansas State's a grad transfer from Casper College, James Hampshire. So there's a lot of transfers in at the upper levels, but at these lower levels, we're starting to see head coach Stoudemire's recruiting and, and those kids just getting their feet wet as, um, I forgot to mention, Amari McRae, another transfer, as, as kids who are, are learning uh, just the ropes in the early going and he can put out a competitive team with uh, guys who have experience already they're not doing too bad themselves averaging 69 a game holding opponents to 57 points playing good defense shooting the ball well at 46 percent not really shooting the deep ball a lot of their game is inside oriented shooting i feel like they take on the city of stockton somewhat rugged gonna play tough because that's just kind of how stockton gives you that vibe and they have big players playing the positions like they got a 6-5 guard Jaleel Tripp 6-5 220 that's a big fella right big fella at the guard position out of Brooklyn New York so so when you can play a little a little bit of what we'd call bully ball you can you can you know don't have to shoot threes take them down to the post take them down low Tripp's only made one three-pointer the whole season otherwise he's shooting basically 51% from the field Averaging almost 13 points a game, getting seven rebounds a game. That's, that's what you want your guard to do. You could see how how much of their style is kind of predicated off of that. I mean, they're only averaging 11 assists a game. Uh, Trip just seems like their go-to guy. You know, this team knows that the offense is kind of going to run through him. And you also have Justin Moore, the point guard out of San Diego you mentioned from the transfer from Georgia Tech. Again, another player out of an ACC school with Georgia Tech, who it's a very big program. He's going to know how to manage the offense. He's leading the team in assists per game with 3.6. The savviness, managing of the offense that he's brought from the ACC to this WCC team may not be spread team-wide in terms of you know production all around, but everybody in the team knows who the offense is going to run through and where the play finish is going to take place. That's starting with more, ending with trip. And, and if one of them, perchance, doesn't make the shot, get the rebound. They're nearly doubling up their opponents on offensive rebounds per game. But on overall, in competitive action, they've got like 12 more rebounds. Okay, 11.5 more rebounds per game than their opponents. It's okay to round. It's okay to okay, round all up. Right, all right, <laughs> So I'll round a little bit more. But to that uh, effect is these other players who may not be taking all these shots all the time know that they've got opportunities on the boards because everyone's going to come and help out and try to snag one of those. And then you can just grind down opponents with extra possessions where they have to continue to play defense. And that's not how anybody wants to play basketball. They want to be free-flowing and making shots on the run with nobody in the way. But if you don't have the ball, you can't do that. And I think that shows just how savvy coaches using these particular players while building up his roster at the same time. Coach Stoudemire, that is. So that way UOP, which has had some of its best seasons under him, 
They've got their first West Coast Conference tournament win, which is like the best finish they've had in the West Coast Conference this past season. So due to his improvements, we can expect to see them take that next step and maybe challenge that upper echelon of teams in the West Coast Conference. Maybe not necessarily beat them, but certainly put forth a good challenge. Damien Stoudemire is really taking this team under his own to put out a quality product on the court. Lastly, I want to finish off with UOP, considering what their numbers look like. Not a lot of threes. Justin Moore, he's shooting 47% from three-point range. But still, uh, probably the one bright spot on the perimeter for them would you say that this is a grit and grind type of team? Absolutely, which sounds so much like the city itself. And and somewhat Mr. Stoudemire, who, even though he won Rookie of the Year, he didn't quite reach that level that many might have expected for him throughout the rest of his career. He had a totally fruitful career, and he was able to be an assistant coach in so many places, Memphis, the Grizzlies, and the University of Memphis, as well as at Arizona. So he's taken all that knowledge and we talk about grit and grind, those Memphis Grizzlies back in the day through the grindhouse with Zebo and Gasol and Allen. He's bringing some of that with him here to the Stockton Tigers, and it's kind of fun to see. Again, they are at a 9-3 record. So we got, we've got gone through two Bay Area teams now in the West Coast Conference. For the listeners at home, we have four... Three to four. We can round. We can round. (laughs) Four teams, four Bay Area local teams. I mean, is it within a two-hour drive? Yeah. I mean, Stockton. Easy. And I I love Stockton. They're not in the Bay, but they're right next to us. Just as much as Monterey is not in the Bay, but they're next to us. Yeah. We're getting to my point. We have four Bay Area teams in the top five in the West Coast Conference right now. So we cover Santa Clara. We covered Pacific. Now we're going to move to the East Bay. Moraga, St. Mary's. They're 9-2. and two. Same record as Santa Clara, which they've had a lot of big games this year. Notable one was their first game, uh, November 5th, versus Wisconsin, in which they won 65-63 to 63 in overtime. Again, that's versus a Big Ten team. They quickly made a statement to start off the year. Yeah, and it was an impressive statement. It was played in Sioux Falls, South Dakota at the Stanford, or excuse me, Sanford Pentagon. So when you think about how far they had to travel, Wisconsin somewhat close to South Dakota, but for a Bay Area club to go up there and then go up against the Badgers, a staple inside of the NCAA tournament for years and years, and they beat them, albeit 65-63 in overtime, no less. That's a big W. They also have a quality win versus Utah State. At the time, Utah State was ranked 15th in the nation. They won 81-73. Projected to be the number one Mountain West team this season, and that's why we see them ranked 15th uh, as when they played St. Mary's on uh, late November. And then they also had uh, this last game, December 8th, versus number 19, Dayton, in which... They lost 78-68, another quality opponent. I mean, for a WCC team with teams like UOP and Santa Clara, none of them have seen ranked teams like St. Mary's. St. Mary's, I believe in this latest top 25 poll, they received eight top 25 votes. 
Makes sense. The only reason why they're not ranked right now is their home opener. They lost inexplicably 61-59 to Winthrop. Winthrop's not even above 500 right now. So that is kind of docking the Gales, as well as this other thing. Much like we noted with UOP and Santa Clara, a lot of home games. They're 7-1 and one at home, while being 2-1 and one on neutral courts. They have barely played any away games. Now they'll be at Cal coming up, but after that, it's three more home games and then conference play. So it is a definitely a good start from St. Mary's, and I think the voters just want to see them perform maybe in a more challenging uh, road environment than what they have gone through so far. Still, though, we expect them to be one of the top teams, not only in the West Coast Conference, but within the nation. Let's go ahead and talk about Mr. Jordan Ford. Jordan Ford currently averaging 19 points, shooting 48% from the field, 40% from three. He played, I think, all 40 minutes against Dayton. Okay, 37 minutes. I take it back. Oh, okay. But 37 out of 40 minutes, that's a lot. Yeah, averaging 1.7 steals a game. We kind of saw this coming. We did see this coming with with him, with his production of how much he's going to have to take responsibility on offense for this Gales team. Is it a lock that Jordan Ford is all WCC guard by the end of the year? Ooh, that's a good question because there were a couple injuries last year down in San Diego that took some guys out of consideration, if you will. And then you can never forget how good Gonzaga just recruits and gets people to play at various positions. So, And then how well Jamari Bouye is playing this season. Maybe. I, I want to say for sure for Jordan Ford. He's shooting well. I just he's, don't he's see just enough. He's a tick under 20 points a game, as yeah. you mentioned. Yeah, I just I don't see enough in the playmaking department with barely two and a half assists per game. Uh, his defense may make up for that with close to two steals, but... Uh, and his shooting, his shooting efficiency is is superb. But uh, yeah, we'll see. There's, there's just a lot of a lot of other good guards in the WCC right now. I think his playmaking ability is somewhat hampered by the uh, quality of the team. There's only like four or five guys, five guys who are averaging more than 20 minutes a game, and some of them are playing more than 30 minutes a game. They got three guys going 30 minutes a game in Mr. Jordan Ford, Malik Fitz, who's doing wonderfully rebounding-wise as well as scoring. He's averaging 14 and a half and eight, give or take. And then Tanner Krebs is lighting it up from beyond the arc, shooting at 54% from three. But outside of those three playmakers, there isn't a lot to come by through the rest of the squad, and they're all going to have to take a step up in order for Jordan Ford to take that next step and be as, I don't want to say as dominant as he was last season, but be as inspired in his play as he was from last season. So the potential is there. Obviously, great head coach yeah, for the Gales, but maybe not at the moment are they able to get Jordan Ford that West Coast Conference conference spot. An all-West Coast Conference first-team guard? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's look at their upcoming games that they have. Yeah, four games before they face off San Francisco on January 2nd at the Hilltop. They got games at Cal versus Arizona State versus Nevada and versus Seattle. Cal, ASU, and Nevada, those are familiar teams from USF. They had a back-to-back where they faced Arizona State and Cal. Lost to Arizona State, beat Cal. 
it's going to be important that St. Mary's, they're going to look at those games like those are games that they need to win. Nevada, they just blew Santa Clara out of the water, 98-67. Another one that they have to put a star next to, saying, hey, they beat one of the teams that they believe to be a considerably weaker team than them in the conference. That's a game that they're going to have to win out as well. So those next three games, then they have Seattle University, but their next three games, Cal, ASU, and Nevada, they're going to have to come out with W's. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult once conference play starts, kind of having just that target on their back from all these other Bay Area teams as well as all the other teams in the conference. Yeah, uh, they and Gonzaga constantly have the targets on their backs for being the two kings of the conference since as long as most of us can remember these days. And they were able to get that bid last year to the big dance because they won the conference tournament. This year, they're thought better of. And rightfully so. They should have been thought better of prior to just this year. But if they can't beat the likes of these upcoming teams, then they are in jeopardy in the uh, general rankings aspect. They may still come out ahead in the WCC or in the tournament, but this will certainly help their credentials going forward to pick them time at the end of the year. And I do want to say that Seattle University has played against Portland, another West Coast Conference team in the Elgin Baylor Classic. Seattle was able to beat them 73-71. Portland, obviously not great last year. They've made some strides this year, being a little bit better. But again, that's a team you need to beat and take care of at home, much like that Winthrop game to start the home opener for the Gales. So they need to get it going, as it were. Look, head coach Randy Bennett knows what he's doing. He's had kids in this situation before. He always gets them ready to play by conference time. For these final four games before conference play starts, what do you think the record is going to be for that four-game stretch? Who are they going to have those wins against? Are they going to lose out to any of, the t- uh, any of those teams? Well, right now, Cal is just learning to become a program again after being, well, in the uh, diaspora, if you will, after Jalen Brown left. So Cal, they should be able to take care of. Arizona State, we saw defeating the University of San Francisco in San Francisco by a very tight margin. So the Gales, they need to take that one, and that'll certainly be the most difficult of all four teams upcoming. As the Wolfpack have taken a step back this year, Coach Musselman, who was the Wolfpack's head coach for the past few seasons, is now out east, and the University, or excuse me, Seattle University, just not that good of a program at the moment. So um, the challenge will be in Arizona State, but you can't take your eyes off the prize anywhere, especially a, a, a nice little rivalry game with Cal for East Bay supremacy. Let's go ahead and move forward to the last team, last Bay Area team for WCC, the USF Dons. We've been to the past... 20 home games what it feels like (laughs) i was watching footage of that last game versus cal i was always just looking for us on that right sideline yeah right behind the hoop yeah i kind of done that too (laughs) but they're currently eight and two right now i just want to mention very quickly that all these teams have eight wins or more and three wins or less so everyone's playing really good basketball right now. Bouye's killing it. Midland's killing it. Jimbo Lowe. Nimble. Yeah, Nimble. Nimble Lowe. Khalil Shabazz is killing it off the bench. He could be WCC sixth man of the year. Not if my guy Rima Reitinen has anything to say about that. Ooh, okay. Unless we're just giving him player of the year. We're just going to 
jump him right up there. Remu for player of the year? Remu for everything. Re- <laughs> he can't be president. Yeah. He's if you born had, in Finland. But if, you had, if you had any votes for player of the year, you would see all these top prospects like Vernon Carey, Cassius Stanley, Cole Anthony, Ty Boogie Ellis, or Trey Jones. And then you would see honorable mentions. Remu Raitanen, one. One. <laughs> one. One vote. That's all you need. Uh, you like No, what if you look at it and you saw two? I hope he has a vote, too. I don't know who else. Would, <laughs> where someone would else that, from Finland. Where would that vote? <laughs> somebody from Finland. They gave somebody from Finland a vote. <laughs> yeah, they watch basketball. They got, they got a team. So they choose Remu over, uh, what's the dude's name from uh, ASU? His, uh, his statesman. Oh, the other Finian. I've forgotten. The other Finnish dude? Finian? Fin, fin, Finnish dude? Yeah, Finnish. It'll come to me. It'll come to me. It's not... Is it Elias Valtanen? I think so. That sounds right. I'm just going off sound, but yeah, I'm with it. Yeah, I'm going to say it's Valtanen. Valtanen. I mean, he can get a vote later. He's, oh, yeah. you he's know, younger than Reno. You know, you could figure out who's from the same country. Just I feel like just off of the sound of like their last name... Like Valtanen, Markinen, Raitanen, Raitanen. Oh, where's Laurie Markinen from? Finland. Okay, just want to make sure. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know. All right, but let's talk about this basketball team. We've named a lot of really good players, and some of that I think is head coach Smith's previous recruiting. There's there's like guys who have spent time on this team: seniors in Jimbo Lowell, seniors in uh, Jordan Rotino, senior obviously in Rimu Raitanen. But Minlin's been around. Bouye's been around. Khalil Shabazz was had to sit out redshirt last year, but he's been around. And right now, Todd Golden is leading them, and excellently so, towards quality win after quality win. Is it dope that because Khalil Shabazz redshirted last year, we know we're going to get that extra year from him? Yeah, in a sense. I mean, same thing for Charles Minland. He unfortunately had an injury a couple seasons ago. Yeah. And he's a redshirt junior right now, even though he could technically, and I'm not saying he should be, he could technically be a senior, but he's a redshirt junior, and he's stuffing the, the bucket any opportunity he can get. So there's there's guys who you're going to be able to get extra experience from because they were sitting, and, and when they're sitting, they just learn more about the program, and they learn more about their teammates and that ultimately makes a better team. They have their showdown at the Hilltop with St. Mary's. Basically to just kick off the new year on January 2nd. They're going to celebrate on January 1st, the new year. And get right back to work January 2nd. And we'll see. We've seen last year the matchup between Frankie Ferrari and Jordan Ford. Now we're going to see Bouye versus Ford. Whoa. Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, that was last year. Yeah, yeah. and they, they made a movie they about it. They could have capitalized. They made a movie about it now. Okay, well, how about this? <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> yo, forget, you forget the car makers, yo. This is the Ford versus Ferrari. USF's car sponsorship is from? Ferrari. There you go. And isn't Frankie's brother on the coaching staff? He's the video coordinator. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's on the staff. There you go. Yeah. So it's always Frankie versus it's, there's always. I mean, excuse me, it's always Ferrari versus Ford. They'll always have a Ferrari versus Ford. If, if Ford has some brothers or some family, that sponsor or on staff then it's gonna be cousins you know it's gonna be a (laughs) it's gonna be a lifelong rivalry yeah that 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 matchup that that matchup sure is gonna be something we've seen jamari he's doing damn good on defense this year Mm, preach with what 
Jordan Ford offers on offense as a somewhat jack-of-all-trades on the perimeter, it's going to be a show. Their three-point shooting, let's talk about that. They had their record game versus, yeah, where they hit 19 threes. TSU Bakersfield, yeah. Yes. Yeah. From there, that was kind of like they plateaued. And then from there, it was they constantly struggled in their games shortly after that. Yeah, things were not as smooth sailing as as they were. Granted, they beat Sam Houston State in the next game by nine points, but that should have been a much further margin. They beat Hampton 89-73, but Hampton made a run at them. Their three-point ball disappeared for them when they played against Hawaii in Hawaii, so they lost that one by 10. And then it was just an okay three-point shooting percentage when they played against the Arizona Sun Devils in their most recent, or well, not in their most recent loss, I should say, as they only shot 28% from three against Arizona State. So you're absolutely right that the three ball, when it does leave them, leaves the University of San Francisco offense a little bit more vulnerable. Granted, they can get a bucket kind of anytime they want with Minland or Lull or even Jamari Bouye, but the rest of the offense is predicated on making those threes. Yeah, all across the board from Rivni to Rimu to Shabazz. Trey Anderson. Trey Anderson, some. Retino. Yeah, he's back to making those, which is important. We've seen specifically Jordan Retino slump from behind the three-point arc, but he may, as the season ends up, finishing uh, as the all-time leader in threes made for the Dons. So he's liable to get back on track because his first couple of years with the team, he was tremendous from behind the arc. Jamari Bouye makes threes. Jimbo Lull had a couple of threes made, I think, against Hawaii. Uh, so he becomes a threat. Tavi Yerkatem, who's been out for USF, kind of their backup center. He's due back, they think, on that January 2nd game against the Gales. But he can hit the three. He can make a long-distance shot. So you're absolutely right. There's a lot of guys who can make them. They just haven't been falling too frequently recently. They have five games left before conference play starts for them on January 2nd. They got Cal State Fullerton. They got Stanford, two games on the road. Then they come back versus UC Davis. Then they get back on the road to the Central Valley to face Fresno State and then finish off non-conference play versus Harvard. We all know where the key game is there. Harvard, because they've already played Princeton and Yale. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, good. At least I made you laugh. I thought it was a pretty bad joke. That's why I'm laughing, because oh, okay, it was good. bad. It was that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, to answer your question, it is for sure Stanford. I'm really liking that we are seeing a ton of inner Bay Area basketball competition because UOP hadn't played Cal since like 93 or something. And now we're seeing Santa Clara play Stanford, and we're seeing USF play Stanford, and USF play Cal, and St. Mary's playing Cal. It's just really good to see the competition within the Bay Area itself. And then Stanford, just as a team, should give them their stiffest competition. But I'll be honest with you, Harvard is a pretty good team this year as well. So we'll say the one on the road, though, is is definitely the bigger factor. Ivy League. Yeah. Nobody nobody ever in the history just of one guy ever has thrown up for Ivy League. Oh like nobody. That. Nobody. I thought we were gonna say Ivy League. <laughs> I thought we were talking about guys who made it out of the Ivy League into the pros. Nah, just throwing up for the Ivy okay, League. Okay, <laughs> okay. 
South. <laughs> They're not in the South, the Ivy League. They're specifically in the North and in the Northeast for the most part. Yeah, no, it's going to be, I might have to try to go to that one, December 7th. Ooh, okay, yeah, I might definitely try to have to go to that one. You ever been to the Stanford? Uh, Pavilion? Yeah, to uh, Maples. I do not think I have ever been. No, I can't say I've ever been there. First time I've been there, middle school. Our math teacher slash student government advisor, he lived in Palo Alto. He'd always go to Stanford games. He took us and like, Basketball. Right, he he took us there to uh, uh, watch a yeah. watch a. We watched a girls volleyball game. And he took us another time to watch a girls basketball game. Nice, dope as heck. Tara Vandeveer, shout out. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, might have to might have to make a trip out there to go see what's up uh, for that game. Right now, they're eight and two, currently third in the West Coast Conference. When all is really said and done at the end of the year, they finished pretty consistently near the top, or they've performed well throughout conference play in past seasons. Uh, could this be the year that they finally break through and, and kind of stay close with Gonzaga and St. Mary's? They're, they got a really good shot this year. I, I honestly think across the board, the entire WCC has improved from last year, so it's not going to be any sort of cakewalk for USF. They're hopefully going to have to be able to. They're hopefully going to be able to stay healthy, because that what that's really what determines how well you'll be able to play within your own conference. But there's no reason why they can't challenge at least St. Mary's for the second spot. BYU has played okay so far this season. I'm sure they'll come around when conference play starts. But but the door is open, and the way they have played to start the season, the Dons. They they legitimately have a, a an opening to take that step. Previous years, you might have said, well, they could be good, but they're certainly not on the level of the other two. This year, they have a chance to catch up to the other two. Though Gonzaga and all the freshmen they got, sheesh, did they reload. So maybe it's just catching St. Mary's this year. But take it one year at a time, catch one team at a time, and eventually you'll be at the top. How much rotation with the WCC has seen with, I guess, rotation of elites. I think it's just been Gonzaga. Like, yeah. Since the 90s, it's been Gonzaga, like, every year, save for maybe one St. Mary's year where they won the conference play. Honestly, it's been a long time since we've seen uh, a team not named St. Mary's or Gonzaga win the regular season conference title, and it's um, an incredible. you got to tip your hat to the Bulldogs up there in Spokane. They keep putting out excellent, excellent teams, and that's why they're ranked in the top 10 right now. They just beat Washington in Seattle against the Huskies, who are ranked 22nd. I think Gonzaga was ranked 9th, so I don't know if they can reach Gonzaga, but they could reach St. Mary's this year. Bay Area versus Gonzaga. <laughs> and Gonzaga we'll get, still We'll get win. Jordan Ford, Jamari Bouye, Willie Caruso. <laughs> Remu Raitanen. Dog. <laughs> trying to get... He can be the coach. He can be the sixth man. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> I was about to be like, Nimble? Uh, maybe. He is... Act- yeah, Jimbo Lull is playing out of his mind right now, and we probably should take a moment to really respect that. He's shooting 57% 
from the floor. He's pulling down eight boards a game while averaging nearly 13 points a game. Putting it together, shooting 75% from the free throw line. So it's not like you can hack the big and he'll miss. He's really playing well down low. And they're able to run some inside-out basketball because he's also a decent passer. So I you know, had to give Jimbo his, his due right there. Yeah, shout-out to Nimble, Jimbo Low. What are the chances you think the Dons get picked to make the big dance? 3%? At most? To be picked? Yeah, to be picked means they don't win the tournament at the end of the year for the West Coast Conference. They'd have to win every game against Gonzaga and St. Mary's and BYU because they do have that loss against Arizona State. And going on the road at Hawaii is not easy. It's never easy to travel over to Hawaii. But if they can end the year with just a couple of losses, they'll at least give themselves a chance. But being new kids on the block, that'll make it all the harder for them to actually gain the trust and the confidence of the voters or the selectors, whatever they're called. So I don't have a lot of faith in them being picked. But if you win all your games then it doesn't matter. They'll have to respect the wins. The selection committee. I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, but if they do win the WCC tournament, that gives them that automatic bid. Absolutely. What are the chances they win the WCC tournament? Comes a little bit down to health, but... You know, I give them actually like a 25% shot of winning the tournament. They can snag a number two seed. That would play to put them right in the semifinals to begin with. Win that, get a really good game against Gonzaga, you have a chance to win. 25 might be a little high. I'm maybe a little optimistic. If they have a 25% chance to win, what percent does St. Mary's and Gonzaga hold? For that rest of that 75%. So Gonzaga certainly is at 50%, if not higher. And uh, just looking at St. Mary's this year, they don't look as, I don't want to say dominant, they certainly don't look as uh, impactful as they had the previous years. And maybe that'll change as conference play goes on. So I'm willing to give St. Mary's like 20% to win the tournament, 5% for BYU, one per no, I guess four percent for BYU, one percent for anybody else, and then fifty percent for Gonzaga. So I'm really biased towards USF if I'm giving them twenty five percent because I don't think they can beat Gonzaga anyway. Well, there's a lot of teams to even just look out for in the WCC. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned the four teams that we went over today, but Portland, they're over five hundred team at six and three. BYU seven and four as another five hundred plus team. So you're talking wow. one, two, three, San four, Diego, five, four six, seven. Seven, seven teams, seven out of ten. these ten teams are over 500. So once conference play starts, you could bet it's gonna be it's gonna be a dogfight from the get go. And everything that comes with it, when you say recognition, more practice time because you still have games upcoming, more glory for your school for your city for your community certainly the the case so there's a a lot to be said for being able to to make it to the tournament and obviously that's the goal of every single team at the beginning of the season maybe win at home win all your home games might be the goal but that general unspoken goal of making the tournament that that's what everybody wants there's a lot of steps to make before you can get there that's what everybody wants 
you mentioned in our first WCC episode, you mentioned some surprise teams in, say, San Diego, in Pepperdine. Yeah, the Waves made yeah. some waves. Yeah. So, but now you got teams like Portland that are above 500 above them. Did, did you see that coming? No, certainly didn't see the Waves being being possessor. No, I did not see the Waves having a better record than the San Diego University of San Diego team at all. Just no way that was going to happen. But University of San Diego's played a couple of ranked teams in Colorado and Washington. San Diego State also ranked. I mean, at times these teams were ranked or unranked, but have at least been ranked. And uh, they'll go up against Stanford. So they're put into a challenging schedule on their plate. I just thought they might be able to do better against some of the similar competition, like Long Beach State. They lost against them, and they lost to UC Irvine to start the season. So maybe things will come around for San Diego, but, I mean, conference play is just such a different beast. The familiarity uh, coaches have with certain types of players, and they're able to exploit that. Yeah, it just comes with the territory of of playing within your conference. It's like a mini playoff like atmosphere every game every when game. conference play starts because everyone's your rival. Yeah, even the teams that aren't too close to you, like Gonzaga's up in Spokane, and there's no real geographical rival for them. But everyone they play against is basically their rival. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, brings you to our next point of that's why USF lost three straight games to San Diego. LMU, Pepperdine, Santa, Santa Clara. Yeah, Santa Clara. I think was in there. So, you know, it's it's every game, night in, night out. You know, whenever any team steps onto that court, that's where it's like you either come and play to win or you don't. And that's what we see being instilled from all these head coaches in the Bay Area to their teams early on. That's why all of them are, you know, got eight wins. Or th- or more, or three losses, or less, because they're all playing hard and tough, and they understand that these wins are crucial now, so that they can set themselves up for success later on in the year. I should about wrap it up now for this WCC talk. Wrap, wrap it up. Yeah. So, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, we got more college basketball talk. We got the Mountain West Conference coming your way. We have more, plenty more Bay Area programs uh, to talk about. You know, San Jose State, Cal, Stanford. You want to extend out to UC Davis? If we went out to <laughs> if we went out to Stockton, maybe we can pull in Davis. Could, yeah. All yeah. right. So does that make Sacramento State and Fresno State just a little too far? Fresno State's too far. Okay. Sac, no. Nah. Sac's not far. Sac's not. Well, okay. I've I've driven to Sac. From I know, here. but you can Is, drive to Fresno from here. What? That's like how how long is that though? Because Sac three, it's Sac three, from here is like two hours. Yeah, it's three days. Walking, you walk everywhere. That's yeah, I why. Sack, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Fresno, no, because Fresno is defined Central Valley. Yeah, and Sack's not the Bay. I no, love you, Sacramento. Not. I love you, Sacramento. But it is NorCal. It is NorCal. Yeah. So in that sense, NorCal, Central Valley, SoCal. Yeah. I'll give you that. Central Valley. Nah. Ivy League. <laughs> Ivy League. Now there's two people who have said that. <laughs> we cutting it right here. Yo, this is Switch Beats Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Stay in for more college basketball Bay Area content.
Deuces. Peace.